people up in the chandeliers The wanting and dining, the menu is blood, sweat and tears Everybody ready, raining duck confetti, champions are born right now Hey, Last in Line, welcome to another episode. We are locking down on conquering our enemy for the hot, hot summer, July and August. Conquering the enemy, the narrative, the masculinity, and the elevation. And this has been an awesome series to do. I've had a blast. Man, I've had some great guests. And today is no different. I'm going to introduce to you Lincoln Lawing, who is currently the president and founder of and I hope I say this right. ASAF talks. That's right. Baby. ASAF talks. It. And he is, uh, it's a 501 C three nonprofit. And what I love about this is he come alongside ministers and coaches and athletes. And he really tries to lock arms and sort of just disciple and love on and, and coach and encourage these groups, these people, these leaders, man, he's just pouring into people, investing in people. Um, the current adversity they might be in just again, discipleship in Jesus and uncovering some of their purpose. And, uh, man, he speaks at different kinds of events. He's, uh, youth events, men's retreats, man, this guy's all over the map. Um, attended university of North Carolina at Charlotte, um, began a career with fellowship of Christian athletes back in 2011 and served until, uh, just recently in February of, of this year, I guess, uh, and in 2013, was licensed and ordained as a minister. Um, congrats on that. Lives in Charlotte currently with his wife and children. Formally welcoming Lincoln Lawing to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Man, it's awesome to get to meet new people. And man, just in the brief times we've talked and just some research I've done on your ministry and your business, man, uh, you're doing some awesome stuff out there and, and I can just see the authenticity genuine in you and your voice. Like I just know you're out there making an impact. So um, anything about you personally though, that, that maybe I'd have left out on the bio that you kind of want to connect with the audience a little bit on. I, you know, a couple things about me uh, personally, I tell people all the time. So I've got two daughters, they are seven and eight and uh I had brothers, so I don't know what I'm doing with the daughters, man. I love it. I'm having a blast, but I think I know uh, I've been married 10 years, got two daughters. I think I know less about women now than I did 10 years ago. Having a blast. Love it. But uh, and I uh, hadn't played in a long time, but I'm a, I'm a baseball guy through and through. I love all sports, but uh, I do a lot of ministry around baseball. And uh, I guess on a random note, I do have a lifelong pursuit. I would. I am interested in finding a Bigfoot at some point in life i want to go out start there's got to be one somewhere and i want to go find him so that's kind of uh well personal. i hope you don't think i'm crazy but that's i'm glad you said that because you know doing some research on your website talk to me about this yeti hunting that you came up with and i don't know if that's yours or if that's if that's a common saying so, out there or what so it is and so i've it's always been a joke you know not a joke as far as you know, I don't necessarily know if there's a Bigfoot out there or not, but I've talked about it enough. And when I started this Yeti hunting, what was, and I said, and I joke, I put hunting instead of hunting. Right, and right, uh, right. because I feel like when it comes to finding your true passion and your true purpose in life, if you really find out what that is and you go for it, a lot of people tell you it's not there. 
you'll never find it and you're crazy for going for it. Kind of like they would if you were hunting an actual Yeti. So that's kind of a lot of the speaking that I do. I've got some format and stuff I do just finding out what your Yeti is and going and hunting it, man. And everybody's going to think you're crazy, but Hey, I'd rather die looking for something that I knew God called me to than sit on the sidelines. So that's just a little bit of a, uh, a that's small awesome. intro on the Yeti hunting that I do just some of my, some of the talks that I do. Yeah, that's cool. No, I've, that's awesome. And I know there's a lot of people out there that fit into that little box of what you just described, you know, wanting to hunt it, but a little bit afraid, a little bit uncertain. But uh, man, as we dive in, we're going to talk about some some words here that are a little bit polarizing, you might say, in society right now. There's There's some controversy around everything right now, you know, obviously. But when we talk about the enemy, you know, we, we've got certain narratives in our life that we've locked into and believed for so long that have become sort of our enemy, if you will, and have gotten in the way of what we think God's got us doing and the right narrative about our life. So, man, talk about your own personal experiences, maybe your journey a little bit, and some of the false narratives maybe that you slipped into believing. You know, for me, I think that's big as I've peeled the layers back. uh, Being in a former athlete, a coach, a leader, there's a lot of performance based in there. You know, you slip into, you're way more focused on what you do as opposed to who you are. And the narrative that kind of became dominant in my life that led to a lot of destruction and I still battle with is you're only as good as what you produce today, right? And so it's like every day you want to take your resume and show it to God and others and say, did I do good today? Did I do good today? And on the good days, you, you know, which are rare, you feel good. And then on the bad days, you feel bad. And um, as I've unpacked, you know, I've had some addiction and things in my past. And over the last 11 years of being sober and unpacking that, uh, I had a counselor tell me something real good one time. He said, Lincoln, you kind of metaphorically give everybody a sticky note at the end of the day and say, hey, write your opinion on here of me. How'd I do today? And he said, and you take all those in and you collect them. And then based on that, you form your opinion of, of yourself. And he and uh, he said, and I thought about that. So for me, I think uh, approval, addiction, being in ministry, you always want to make people happy. You always want to mm-hmm. perform. And that's kind of a narrative how it's affected by others. I really don't know where it came from. You know, I had good parents and they, they loved me, but I think a lot of it was just playing ball, coaching, being in performance-based work. You're just kind of always on the treadmill of what does everybody think? How, how right. do they think I'm doing? And that's kind of, that's yeah. kind of one of the things I fight with. Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, that's, you know, it's a lot of people can relate to that. And, and I'm a baseball guy too. My kids play and uh, man, anytime a competitive environment, Anytime you're in a competitive environment like that, like you said, performance-based, like we allow kind of other people to write our story or the outcome of that competition to write our story. And what it sounds like to you, you know, to me about you and and what other people I know are, are, are dealing with or have dealt with is, man, it's a, it's a ebb and flow. I mean, it's a daily grind as to, am I going to measure up today? And that's a that's a hard battle. That's a hard narrative to swallow, you know. But I've heard somebody say, you know, fire the narrator. Whenever we start talking about some of these people, let's go through and let's let's kind of vet out some of these 
this noise, if you will, and get back to baseline, you know, and getting the, getting the word and get with God and get right there. And sounds like you, you did that. And it sounds like you had that transformation. Um, how, how did you, how were you able to kind of establish that baseline and get into center of where you needed to be with your faith and, and maybe a little bit about that journey? You know, it was a big, it takes a lot of discipline and repetition. I think I fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, there's an easy way to do things, regardless of what it is. Like, hey, if I go to this conference or read this book, then um, I'll be transformed. And what I've learned is, you know, knowledge always outweighs obedience. I think we always mm-hmm. know what to do. It's just a matter of daily executing that. And, I think establishing that baseline started, you know, just some simple scripture for me, but just Romans 8, 1, where it says there's therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I mean, I grew up in performance-based, a little bit legalistic uh, religious background and at least how I interpreted it. So I think when I finally got to the point where, man, God knows everything that I've done and that I'm going to do, and he loves me. And really basking in that daily and letting it rewire the way that I thought, because I believe that, you know, thoughts lead to emotions that lead to behavior. And uh, so for me, it was just daily doing that. And when I did get off course, you know, not basking in that, trying to be, you know, I've learned to be operate more in the gray area than black and white thinking all the time. Some things are black and white. A lot of things aren't. And realizing that, if I'm not perfect, you know, it's okay. So just understanding that God thought more highly of me than I was thinking of myself. And if God was telling me one thing, then who am I to say otherwise? Um, Mm -hmm. So that was a big one. I think for me was just getting that baseline and, you know, listening to the right people, having people in my life, you want accountability, you want discipline, you want transparency, but picking a few people that, um, that you want to listen to and then, and hearing what they have to say and kind of silencing everybody else. I think, uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney, I know you're out in uh, Texas here in uh, North and South Carolina. Everybody loves some Dabo Sweeney, but he said, love Dabo, man. Yeah. And he said, I would never take, um, I'll never listen to criticism from somebody I wouldn't take advice from. And, uh, he had a good point. Most of the people that I was letting write a negative narrative in my life, were people that I really didn't care what they thought. So for me, I started thinking, man, limiting the voices, limiting the noise, and ultimately letting God dive into that narrative. And the, you know, kind of the the other thing is embracing failure. The more you do life and you do things that are worthy, the Mm -hmm. more you're going to fail. That comes with the turf. So learning to see failure as opportunity and not an ultimate failure. That's why I love baseball. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get another at bat, regardless of how bad you look on that curveball in the dirt you swung. Hey, hey, and there's a lot of people in Cooperstown that failed about 70% of the time at the plate. You know what True. I mean? So it's uh it's a failure sport for sure. But so, so when you talk about some of that and, and we get into that theme of conditional, love conditional acceptance that we're faced with in society you know it it can come and go and it's based on like we talk about it's very conditional whereas opposed to god is unconditional that agape love um you know how do we or i guess better question would be like what can disrupt um some of our i don't know the rhythm that we get into let's say you're talking to a guy that's 
in that rhythm, he's found his cadence, right, of his narrative. Like, he feels like he's right in that swim lane. And yet, still getting kind of knocked around by some of the external, some of the noise, some of the voices, because there are people that he does respect their opinion, let's say. But sometimes that significance or affirmation isn't always there. What do we do as guys to press through that? Or what do we do as guys to almost kind of deflect it if we need to? And I agree with that because I, I think, you know, when we talked about what disrupts that that cadence, I mean, you know, the obvious is, you know, failure can disrupt it. Success can disrupt it. I'm a big believer in a weird way that uh, monotony and, and mundaneness sometimes can disrupt that. A friend of mine, we talk a lot about the monotony of success when you know what you're doing is working, um, but sometimes you got so used to chaos when you don't feel it, you don't know what to do. And uh, so for me, I think when I get kind of what helps me get back into that is, is margin. It, it, I've learned to embrace margin in, in my health, in my time, in my finances, because when there's always noise and you never get a time to focus on what that narrative is, then it's going to be dictated by your schedule or tight finances or a lack yeah. of time. And I've just learned over the years in relationships and then in, in my inner man, deep in my soul, that margin is a really good thing. A lot of the greatest successes, ideas, affirmations in my life have come in times of margin. Um, so I've gotten, I've kind of worked it into my rhythm when, when I'm getting off base, when I'm getting off kilter, even better proactively before that happens, get away, withdraw, and not like in an isolation, but man, just spend some time alone, thaw out. I mean, you can't, you can't believe everything you think, which is weird. So it's just saying, hey, what have I been thinking about? What's going on? And just kind of pulling back and saying, does this line up with the narrative? Does this, is this is what I'm thinking true. And it's really helped me a lot just in yeah. implementing pieces of margin, small ones in the day, bigger ones throughout the week, even bigger ones throughout the year has really been, been big for me to, to keep that's, that narrative on track. Man, that's awesome. I, I like that a lot. I like margin, um, man. And we, you know, we hear anybody that's successful talks about intentionally carving that out, like making that, a scheduled event, you know, schedule nothing, you know, put that in the calendar, schedule a gap, because I think you're right onto something because you can really lock in and get, get real vertical uh, when you need to, and just press into the Lord and figure out kind of direction. And that piece just kind of, it kind of saturates you in that moment of margin. And I like that. So man, as we kind of creep into this uh, conquering our enemy and we're going Yeti hunting today, uh, for the, the enemy that's trying to track down and, and kind of rip apart our masculinity as we're on the M of the enemy, you know, man, we could go wherever we want to go with this topic. There's so many directions given the climate we're in with social media, with, you know, feminism at its highest point or, or political disruption at its highest point, trying to kind of creep in and rebrand this word we call masculinity. Tell us what you think biblical masculinity is de either defined as or what you think it just looks like. What's a picture of what masculinity was designed to be? So I heard this a few weeks ago, actually, before I even knew about this question. And, it, and I've heard a lot of definitions. I, I, I love this piece because I believe that 
the the enemy's biggest tactic, not the enemy, the enemy yeah. is in Satan yeah. is is getting men off track and creating chaos in in the family unit. And you know, would would I just think about it a lot, do a lot of ministry around it, deal with coaches and athletes, and it's crazy. No matter how successful a man is, he still battles with this. And a guy said at this conference I was at, he said, if we're created in the image of God, and which we agree on, he said, then it would want us to know what was kind of God's first order of business. And he went back to Genesis 1, and he said the earth was formless and void, and then God began to create things. And he said, God's image is to move into an environment of chaos and create order. And I was like, wow. And he said, as men, when we're operating in our true design, I'm not trying to define masculinity here or, or necessarily there's a lot of people smarter than me that have a better definition. But biblically, if you look throughout, I think the character of God bestowed upon us as men mm -hmm. is when we see things on this earth that are chaos and not order, our godly manly task to do is to enter that chaos and bring order to it with giving the honor to the image of God. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how I began to sum it up over. I've thought on that a lot. So mm -hmm. that's, that's real good. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And what, what better time than right now, if you look around, would, would order need to be restored, you know? And so that's why I think it's important. And, and there's a lot of people talking about this now and, and has been for, for years, but, um, you know, the masculinity piece can be skewed and warped and twisted into whatever, not to mention narrative again, but narrative somebody else wants to create, right? So whatever fits a political agenda or, or whatever perpetual propaganda is out there, you know, that we want to spin the word masculinity. But like you said, like, let's make it simple. Let's boil it down to what God who made us called it to be, right? We weren't ever confused with our gender. We weren't, you know, back in the day, we weren't ever confused with our role as a provider, as a hunter, as a gatherer, as a protector. So somehow we got, somehow it got skewed. Somehow we got a little bit off course. Um, what would you say the culture, like effects the culture's had so far on it, like to this point, obviously it's happened over time gradually, you know, we've, we've gone off of plumb line somewhere. So what, what effects, if you can think of a few that, that maybe you see being the triggers for, for masculinity getting kind of caught off guard here? I think the, the, the main thing is, is, is silenced what it is at, at its core. I think that the, the culture uh, through whatever means have, you know, taken away from the things that God wants us to do necessarily devalued them, devalued that. And I think what it does is in today's culture, people would rather err on the side of caution by not doing something than, than do it and mess up. And 100%. so I think what it's done is it, it's created passivity. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not saying you need to confront everything. There's a balance, but I was at a men's event a while back and one of the best clips I ever saw about manhood, they showed it was saving private Ryan. And at some point in the movie, a guy, his comrade is in the building and he watches the enemy go in. He doesn't do anything. And that guy 
kills his his partner. And it was the whole thing of that. That's kind of where we are. And I believe in manhood, the biggest mistakes we make aren't the things we do. It's the things that we don't do that we should have done. And mm-hmm. I believe what the culture's done is created a, a, a cautious environment where there's too much passivity among us as men and that, and, and that needs to be balanced, but that's what I think it's done. So a lot of times we see the chaos and we, we know something's wrong, but we've been trained through the culture not to go in and do something about it. Or we think that it's someone else's job when in reality, it's what God's called us to do. And I, I think that's what I see a lot, not a lot of men making grave mistakes as much as the passivity. And you know this, mm-hmm. when you know God's called you to action and you do not act, it becomes almost poison inside of you. And I think that's what leads to a lot of the acting out and things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. No, 100% agree. Um, and and I would even ask you too, with all the work you're doing with you know, athletes and coaches and, and leaders throughout in ministry, even and, and not, but, um, you know, what, what would you say to a group of those folks or what do you say in part of your, you know, some of your coaching, if you cover this piece and maybe just indirectly covering masculinity, the standards have been, uh, sort of, I guess, misdefined. I think the, 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 the culture and the society has taken the standards. We've watered them down long enough to where we've accepted it right like now like you're talking about passivity is sort of accepting things the way they are and uh you know what what would you recommend to these guys that you're coaching and walking alongside in ministry you know how do we take that step to have a voice to start change i think it starts with knowing that the power and responsibility that's been bestowed upon us from our creator i mean i think it all starts from a vertical standpoint and realizing it's not about not being masculine it's about learning when and where to flex that. You know, I know in, in John Eldridge book, wild at heart, he talked about uh, a scalpel. He said, you know, a scalpel is, is created to save lives, but it could also kill somebody used the wrong way. He said, you don't dull the scalpel because you may need it to save a life. You just keep it in the case until the proper time. And I think that's one thing that is understanding, Hey, we've been given power and gifts and influence as men, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's learning how to, how and when and where to flex those. And I just think that understanding that and understanding that God loves us and he, and he's proud of us, you know, before we ever do anything. I think that's one thing I talk to guys about, you know, when Jesus was baptized and the the father said, this is my son whom I'm loved. Listen Mm -hmm. to him. He he had not done anything yet. He had not had any miracles performed or anything. So the biggest thing I tell these guys, once you get secure in who you are as a man and who the father has created you to be, then that overflows into your relationships and into society. So I'm a big believer that getting very clear on who God is and what his purpose is for you as a man, then gives you confidence to carry it out in your design. That's right. That's absolutely right. And and it goes beyond just talking about it, right? It's more about being about it. And then once you are walking in that and people see that in you, 
it's it becomes magnetic, right? People start gravitating toward you and wanting to be a part of that movement, if you will, um, that that is kind of out there that's starting to, I think, get more traction is this masculinity in the in its right standing. You know, I think we're 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 taking those steps to get it back. And you know, you've got daughters, I've got sons and a daughter. Uh this is off script. I'm going to throw this at you, put you on the spot. But so aside from being a, a godly man, what are you going to tell your daughters to look for? Like what is going to be the guy that you hope, what's that going to look like from a masculinity standpoint? Like what, what in your opinion, just a couple things, I'm sure there's a long list. If you're like me, there's a list that's endless that no one will ever live up to. But, but aside from that, maybe a couple. Yeah, I always joke. I tell them as much as I love baseball players and playing ball, I say, I don't know if I want you guys dating baseball players because I, I don't know you. what those yeah. guys are about. Yeah. But, I you know, you. I think for me is it's, I've, I've told my wife what I would like to do is from now as they get older, I want to be able to model what they should, what they should look for. And mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing for me is I want them to be able to understand – the full scope of masculinity. It it, it is being able to provide and being able to protect. But one thing I'm very passionate about is, is having daughters is learning the emotional connection, the transparency, the vulnerability. So I think the biggest thing, if you summed it all up, I would want them to be with someone who's authentic and who, who, who's the true person. Because I think in today's world, especially inundated with social media, you don't really know who somebody is. And I think I've told them I, and my wife, I just want them to be with somebody that's authentic. What you see is what you get. And the person he is with you is the same person he is in different pockets of relational influence. I think that's a valuable and um, decreasing characteristic among people today. Yeah, for sure it is. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it too. And it's the modeling part that stood out to me when you're talking is how are we modeling that? Because that will be caught by them more than taught if we're just speaking the words of here's what you need to look for. They need to see that in us. And I think that's a great point. Um, all right, man. So let's, let's transition right in here uh, to what I call the last portion of enemy, the elevation. And uh, you know, we've got two contexts here of elevation and, and I want to cover the first one being, and you know, competitive sports, high-level athlete, you know, successful athlete, um, out doing it, grinding. Uh, it's, it's easy to probably get caught in that elevation trap, right, of inflate ourselves because we're trying, to, we're trying to be on the top of that mountain. Like we're competing, we're fighting, we're playing a hard sport, so we're at the top of the mountain and we're pumping our fists. But talk about it, you know, what are some of the downfalls to that? Obviously, um, there are some. And, and what can that lead to if it if it starts to get in a dark place and spiral spiral out of control? I believe you know some of the biggest downfalls I've seen from leaders, athletes, coaches, pastors are when they get to a place where nobody can tell them anything. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just one of the big. And I think when you begin to elevate yourself to a point, it's uh, it's a dangerous place to be because you know it's saying. A lot of people go the flip side and, and they're the constant martyr. They're saying everybody's better than me. Woe is me. And right. that's not humility. I, a guy, I heard a guy say the humility's not an under view of yourself. It's an accurate view of yourself. And 
So I tell people, you know, I believe, you know, we hear a lot about, man, that guy's self-made. He did it. You know, he's self, look, you know, there, Mm -hmm. there are no self-made. I mean, I think everybody has to have help somewhere, somehow, even if they did it themselves, they were given an opportunity to prove themselves. So Mm -hmm. um, I think them realizing that it's only the pro, like when I think about myself, I'm, only the product of God working in me and the people that he's placed in my life. So I think the trap you fall into when, when, when you don't listen to anybody, you get to a place as humans, we can justify any thought that comes in our mind. And I think one of the traps you get into is you think that you're above the crowd or you're better than the crowd or the rules don't apply. And uh, it's a, it's a, that's a bad place to be. And, and, And what you can do there is, I tell guys all the time, you don't want your skills to be able to take you to a place that your your character can't keep you, right? So mm-hmm. it's short-lived and kind of tell them one of the little mantras I have, don't let your outer man take you somewhere your inner man can't keep you. Um, yeah. So it is, it's a tough place to be. And I think I've seen a lot of people when they get to that place where there's isolation and there's nobody, they're not letting people speak into them. Yeah. They fall. And it's even worse because at that point they have a bigger influence than they did before they got there. That's right. That's right. And, and coachability. I hear you talk about being coachable, you know, and I don't think we ever outgrow that. And I know for sure in, in the sports world, you know, if you, if you think you've outgrown that, then, then that's when I think your, your digression starts to happen. So um, yeah. Well, all right. So are you, you know, you dealing with, with, top performers you're coaching folks i mean uh what are you are you given that as is there a piece of this elevation um that or do you see it being common and then do you do you kind of get them in check and and is it hard to get guys in check is it hard for them to kind of trust somebody else to kind of hold them accountable i mean is that a barrier from what you the people that you work with absolutely and it's funny because Most top performers in the business world, athletes, coaches, most of them understand accountability and discipline because it. I'm not saying everybody that's successful played sports at some time, but most did. So they they understand that. But getting people to be transparent, vulnerable, and accept accountability is one of probably the hardest things that I do. I mean, even for me, like – I have 24, seven, 360 accountability, but I, I don't always like it. You know, I, I don't, I don't like letting people in, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like working out. You don't necessarily have to love it. You're doing it for the results. And right. I think that it is hard, but I think once people taste and understand that with that accountability and with that discipline, that that's where freedom comes from. And mm-hmm you know, with the nonprofit and ministry things that I do, there's a lot of different eyes on money, statistics, all these things. And I love that because I can sit across from the table from somebody and say, Hey, you, you might not like what you see. You might not like what you get, but it's, it's the truth. There are no secrets. And I think accountability is one of those things. People don't like it. They don't welcome it, but once they see the benefits of it, it's, yeah. um, I don't want to say addicting. That's the bad word, but it's almost like, man, this works. This is yeah. uh, there's a freedom that comes when you when you're going through something and somebody else knows it and they hold you accountable to it. Your inner soul, it's like something is unlocked deep within. Yeah. And there's a freedom that comes with that. Yeah. And uh, but it is hard because uh, 
it's amazing to me. A lot of people have made it very far and other than themselves, not many people know much about them at all. Don't know where their weaknesses are and yeah. don't know where their strengths are. And I think that's where it's, Hey, you know, in, in leadership and advancement in your craft, what got you from there to here won't always get you from here to there, so to speak. So yeah, I, I've seen that a lot. And I call that, you know, I call that the blind spots and the, and the, the blind spot brotherhood uh, of having those people in your life that, because let's face it, if you have them in the right places, they can really kind of ignite your growth because you, you don't get complacent. You mm -hmm. got somebody kind of always checking your blind spots that you're not seeing. And like you said, there's freedom in knowing that you've invited those people that you trust and given them permission, right. To hold that mirror. And then you can move forward because you saw that before it basically, you know, brought you down or, or destroyed whatever you were working on. So let's shift gears then into what I would consider probably part of your wheelhouse and what you do every day, this other elevation context, how we lift each other's up or other people up. We elevate others. We empower and we encourage them. We're uh, you know, I call it, I don't know, kickstand leadership, if you will, you know, we're kind of that kickstand for those folks. Talk about what fires you up about that. And what is that your passion? Would you consider that part of your passion? I would consider that part of my passion and, it's so funny because, uh, you know, conventional wisdom in, in the way of the world is, is, is counter to that. You know, the mm -hmm. culture says, Hey, get what you can get. You got to do you. And I've, I've just found so much joy in bringing the potential out of people and the calling out of people. And I believe the reason I have is because somebody did that for me mm -hmm. and, you know, on paper, I wasn't the best guy to give a shot to in a lot of scenarios. And somebody saw something in me and and fan that flame. So I think that's a big passion to me. I look for I look for unconventional leaders, unconventional people. And I give and require a high level of loyalty. And that's a gift and a curse. But I just believe when you focus on other people's success more than your own, it just really helps. It also, it helps you to also do what you need to do because you realize unless you're farther ahead and showing them what to do, you can't fully be a benefit to them. So yeah. it is a thing to me. And, and I think that when you enter in to, the, when I enter into a situation, a speaking engagement, a coaching opportunity, chaplaincy, I've learned to train myself. And I heard John Maxwell say this, how can I add value to this person or this organization? And mm -hmm the receptiveness to that person or organization, when you come from a place of not, Hey, I'm going to tell you what I know because you can do it like me. Then they'll mm -hmm. tune you out. When you say, how can I add value to you as a person and collectively to your organization? Mm -hmm. The receptiveness is so huge. And I think the reason I get so excited about it is that that's what God's called us to do. That's what he wants us to do. And he knows more of what will make us fulfilled than we do. Yeah. So that, and, I just love that. To add to what you're saying too, because in a, in a world that's all about, like you said, what's in it for me and, and the syndrome of kind of step over people instead of step alongside with them. Um, you know, I would go back to just, again, we go back to what's the truth and what was the truth from the beginning of time and seed time and harvest is a principle, right? So when you're pouring into others and planting those seeds, God's going to honor that. God's going to reward that. Not that you're doing it for that, but let I me, mean, let's face it. We pour into others. He who waters will himself be watered, 
is what the word says. So, I mean, that's not a, it's not a bad principle to hold on to. And I think if the world, let's, let's be honest, not that I have the solution for all the world's problems, but if, if everybody just kind of took one step in the direction of sowing a good seed, you know, I think we would all kind of stand back and go, wow, this, you know, this really is, this really does work. You know, God had this figured out long before we did. So, you know, I feel like the world could, could stand a little more of that. Um, Talk about, you know, as we close, close up shop here, just talk us a little bit about your, your company, ASAP Talks and, and your role there and just kind of some of your resources that are available um, and some of the, the impact that you feel like you're making. Well, absolutely. And so ASAP Talks is, I, I, I named it that because I, it's Psalm 73 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it's written by ASAP, who was uh, uh, one of David's uh, worship leaders. But the reason I love it is because it's so authentic. You know, it's just real talk, real people. He's telling God how he feels. He's no filter. And it was born out of that. I was, um, did fellowship of Christian athletes for 10 years, love FCA, love the organization through that time. I just was more compelled to tell, tell my story about some of the things in my past um, addiction, mental health, and then began to realize there's such a crossover between addiction and mental health and the sports world. And also in the ministry world and people weren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. So as opportunities grew, I began to, to do that. And then, launched out full-time in February and what we're doing is evangelism and discipleship, but it's primarily through four lanes, which is uh, speaking, writing, mentoring, and chaplaincy. So it's a speaking events, churches, uh, organizations, teams, things of that nature. Uh, we do uh, weekly devotions that I'd send out once a week that are very small. So if you're like me with a short attention span, you knock them out in two minutes. And um, it also, the mentoring, meeting people where they are, and then and then the chaplaincy. I love coming alongside right now some baseball teams and facilities, just meeting guys where they are. So we're growing. Things are going awesome. My, my role right now is doing a lot of all of that and looking to get some people in the right places. But um, on the, the website, it's just lincolnlawing.com, and then on there is a tab for ASAF Talks, and you can sign up for devotions at the bottom of that and and stay in it. But I feel like what I'm excited about is – I'm doing what God's called me to do, and it's a it's a unique lane. And uh, but I, I'm very passionate about when I die, whenever that is. I want to have done something that only Lincoln could have done, not in a selfish way, but what did God create me to do at full potential? And I feel like uh, I'm doing that, and it isn't easy, but it is simple and it is fun, and I'm enjoying the ride so far. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. And it and it will outlast you even i think that's part of the attraction to what we're doing is man this writing we're doing or speaking or or what you know podcasting that it's going to outlive us and it's going to be making an impact beyond us and i think that's cool so man it's been a pleasure getting to know you for a little bit and i know you're taking a big trip to alaska and i appreciate you kind of working with me on my technical difficulties uh today and 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 getting us in here uh tonight but Man, it's been a pleasure, and, and I appreciate your perspective on narrative, masculinity, and elevation. We're conquering our enemy and uh, doing some Yeti hunting along the way. So, audience, I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, he's been Lincoln Lawing. We've been last in line. Be blessed. I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. All I can do is think of me and I'll be surmised.
I'm supposed to be 